All right, before I start the show, I want to tell you about our sponsor, MetPro. Last spring, you might remember that I did an episode with MetPro's founder, Angelo Poli, about how his company has helped thousands of people understand their bodies better through metabolism tracking. Well, MetPro just launched a brand new tool that lets you see the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. So you can start tracking, analyzing, and learning what your metabolism responds to best. Now, my listeners get up to one month for free when you sign up, so head to metpro.co slash getfitguy to learn more. Welcome to the Get Fit Guy's quick and dirty tips to get moving and shape up. My name is Brock Armstrong, and I'm the Get Fit Guy. A few weeks ago on Facebook, a listener named Bo reached out to me and asked, I would like to know more about the physical recovery process. What happens physiologically in between training sessions? I'm a fitness instructor, and I would like to explain to my students why recovery time is important. Thank you so much. Well, okay, as Bo knows, rest and recovery days are important for both your athletic performance and your fitness progression for a variety of reasons. So today, I'm going to break it down and find out what exactly goes on when you give your body the correct amount of rest. Now, most of you fit folks know that you need to get some rest after exercise, but you know what? Many of you still feel lazy or even guilty when you do allow yourself to finally take a day off. Even if you know in the back of your head that your body repairs and strengthens itself in the time between your workouts, not actually during your workouts themselves, still, your recovery time is often the first thing to be skipped in your training program. Now, at its base, full recovery is defined as your ability to meet or exceed performance in a particular activity. That's the definition that's used in most of the scientific papers that are devoted to recovery anyway, but I think that definition is a little basic and also kind of confusing, so let's break it down. Now, imagine that you did a really hard run workout yesterday, like my favorite, which is eight repeats of two minutes all out, followed by four minutes easy. Now, after you do that workout, and until you're recovered, your ability to run, let's say, a personal best 10-kilometer race, well, it's going to be reduced. That's no big surprise. But once you allow your cells, blood, bones, muscles, joints, and nervous system to bounce back from the physical strain of crushing that particular workout, you will, once again, be able to nail that 10K. Plus, you'll be able to train harder, train longer, and simply feel better when you get out of bed in the morning. Not to mention, perhaps most importantly, that every time your body bounces back in this way, you get more fit. Now, in a nutshell, exercise, or any other heavy physical work for that matter, causes changes in the body like muscle tissue breakdown and the depletion of energy stores like your muscle and your liver glycogen, as well as more basic things like body fluid loss. Your recovery time is the time when your body adapts to the stress of exercise and is also when the real training effect takes place. Now, some things that happen during recovery are physiological and some are psychological, but whether it's in your body or in your head, recovery is a vital part of getting fit and staying fit. 
So vital, in fact, that having too few rest and recovery days, well, that can put you into a state of under-recovery, which can then lead to overtraining syndrome, which is a condition that can be truly difficult to recover from. Simply put, when you're in an under-recovered state and you continue to work out, you are wasting your training time. You are training for the sake of training, with little to no change in performance or improvement in fitness. And if you're chronically under-recovering, you will never actually get any faster, any stronger, or happier with your performance. When you're under-recovered, you're kind of like a hamster on its little exercise wheel, doing a lot of exciting movement without making any forward progress. And if you continue this way, you will eventually end up sick, injured, or so overtrained that you have to take a few weeks or months off to recover. Now, there are two categories of recovery, so let's look at them both. The first one is short-term recovery, and that's from a particularly intense training session or an event. Then there's long-term recovery that needs to actually be built into your year-round training schedule. And both of these types of recovery are important for optimal fitness. One part of short-term recovery is called active recovery, and that is simply engaging in some low-intensity exercise after your workout is over, during both the cool-down phase as well as during the days following that workout. Another part of short-term recovery is the replenishing of energy stores and fluids that are lost during exercise. This also involves optimizing protein synthesis by increasing the protein content of the muscles, which can help prevent muscle breakdown and also aids in the increasing of your muscle size. This short-term recovery is done by eating the right foods and rehydrating in the hours and the days after a hard workout. Now, long-term recovery techniques refer to those recovery periods that are actually programmed into your training program and are often more passive than the short-term ones. Although, as we'll learn later, they don't necessarily involve laying on the couch, binging Netflix, and eating Debbie cakes. A good training schedule will include recovery days and easy weeks that will allow your body to recover without getting stale. These periods are also as essential to a fitness program as the heavy workout days and the hard training weeks. And both short-term and long-term recovery are important to our body's adaptation to exercise, and here's why. When we undergo the stress of physical exercise, our body adapts and becomes more efficient, and this is known as the principle of adaptation. And this can be viewed in the same way as learning a new skill. At first, it's awkward and it takes a lot of thought and energy, but the more you do it, the easier and more automatic it becomes. But there are limits to how much stress the body can actually tolerate before it breaks down. Doing too much too soon can result in injury and muscle damage. At the same time, doing too little too slowly will result in disappointment. That is why we coaches and trainers build programs that increase time and distance and intensity at a specific rate and then build in rest days throughout the program to reap the benefits of all that hard work. And it is this alternation between adaptation and recovery that moves the athlete to a higher and higher level of fitness. Now the higher the training intensity and effort, the greater the need for planned recovery. 
This is where monitoring and recording your workouts in a training log, plus paying particular attention to how your body feels and how motivated you are, is extremely helpful in determining your recovery needs and modifying your training program accordingly. Okay, we've danced around this for long enough. What actually happens in your body when you are recovering from a hard workout? Well, let's start with the muscles. When you work out, your muscles, well, they take a beating. This is especially true if you do an impact-based workout or a workout that involves some deceleration, like running or weight training. Every time you strain your muscle with exercise, there's trauma to the muscle fiber. And on a certain level, well, you're basically injuring yourself over and over again. But this is actually a good thing, due to a phenomenon called hormesis. Now, hormesis is a biological reaction where a beneficial effect occurs in response to exposure to a low dose or doses of an agent that could otherwise be toxic or lethal at a higher dose. You can think of it, if you're a movie nerd like me, as the dread pirate Roberts exposing himself to those small doses of iocane powder. Now, exercise could actually kill you if you do it enough, but in controlled doses, exercise bestows what we call hormetic benefits. That is, if you take time to recover. Researchers at McMaster University and the Washington University School of Medicine looked into this, and they found that muscle protein synthesis increases by about 50% for four hours after a workout. The repair process seems to peak at about 24 hours after a workout, at which point muscle protein synthetic rate was actually elevated by 109%. But by about 36 hours after the workout, the whole process was pretty much complete, and the muscles were back to ready-to-rock status. Now, it's important to keep in mind that this study was done on healthy, trained males of university age. So, depending on your age, gender, and training status, your recovery time may vary. I simply include those recovery durations to demonstrate that it can, and does, take more time than just a few hours for full recovery in any of the body's systems that we're talking about today. And that leads us to blood recovery. Angiogenesis is what scientists call the process of creating new blood vessels from the pre-existing blood vessels. When you work out, your muscle contractions increase angiogenesis, and then, during the recovery period, you produce new blood vessels and also the capillaries that feed all of your hungry muscle cells. There are numerous studies that show that capillary density actually increases in response to training and recovery. Researchers have also found increases in reticulocyte counts, which are new red blood cells, during a taper period following hard workout weeks and months. Now, this is a strong indicator that recovery is an important part of erythropoiesis, which is red blood cell production. And you've probably heard that word before, and you probably know that having more red blood cells is kind of the holy grail for many athletes. Another cool adaptation that takes place in your blood is an increase in eosinophils, which are the white blood cell components that can remove some of the inflammation-causing substances in your body, as well as increase lymphocytes, which are white blood cells that fight infection. And this is one reason why people who are under-recovered, well, they tend to get sick more often. 
Next up is cardiovascular recovery. Another part of recovery is something called EPOC, or Exercise Post-Oxygen Consumption, and you can find out more about that in an article called Is the Theory Behind Orange Theory Fitness Flawed? And that's in the section about afterburn. And I'll put a link to that article over at getfitguy.quickanddirtytips.com and look for episode 390. But basically, when you have a short and intense burst of exercise, like sprinting or doing a Tabata workout, you generate energy for the effort anaerobically or without oxygen. The difference between the amount of oxygen that your body required during the effort and what it was actually able to gobble up is called an oxygen deficit. Now, when you stop sprinting and start to recover and continue to (laughs) breathe hard, you will actually need more oxygen to recover than your body can grab in a few minutes or a few hours. This is called excess post-exercise oxygen consumption and is an important factor in being able to nail your next workout or your next exercise session. Like a high-interest credit card, an unpaid oxygen debt is not a debt you want to incur. Now, Next up is bone recovery. Consistent physical activity can modify connective tissues like cartilage, fatty, and elastic tissues, which will allow your body to make significant bone remodeling and increase your bone density. This is the reason why one of the best methods to maintain current bone mineral density is through physical activity. Physical activity increases the physical stress on the bone, and when the stressful stimulus is complete and the bones are allowed to recover, all that bone flexing and stress that you engaged in can help activate cells called osteoblasts, which can help the bone stay strong and resilient. But the opposite is also true. Repetitive bone stress without adequate recovery can result in bone breakdown and loss of bone density. Repetitive stress without recovery can also deplete the body of essential bone-building minerals and vitamins, although this would be a pretty extreme circumstance. Next up is metabolic recovery. A study at McMaster University divided well-conditioned runners averaging about 50 miles of running per week into three groups and had all the runners go into some version of recovery mode. During this recovery mode, one group simply relaxed for a week. The second group ran an easy 18 miles over the course of the week, and the third group ran a measly 6 miles during the week, but that running consisted of all-out 500 meter intervals on a track so their workouts were quick and dirty kind of like this podcast after this recovery week was over all three groups performed a treadmill run to fatigue test they also did some blood tests and some muscle biopsies and the results went like this the did nothing but relax for a week group improved by three percent The runners who logged 18 easy jogging miles improved their performances by 6%, and the runners who ran the 6 miles of 500 meter intervals saw performance increases of 22%. So, okay, what went on metabolically that caused these changes? The researchers found that the low-volume but high-intensity runners had more glycogen, which is the storage carbohydrate in their leg muscles, more aerobic and oxidative enzymes in their legs, 
higher red blood cell density, and higher blood plasma. So this may seem confusing at first, but if we look closely, we see that all three groups improved during the recovery week. But the biggest gains happened in the group that had plenty of rest with just a few fun bursts of exercise during the week. Now this tells us that rest and recovery is important, but you also don't have to hit the couch again with a big box of bonbons to get the full or even the best benefits. And lastly, we have nerve recovery. What we refer to as the central nervous system, or the CNS, includes your brain and spinal cord, as well as the part which connects to your muscles via a thing called the peripheral nervous system. Now this is how it works. When you want a muscle to contract, on purpose or as part of an automatic cascade of movement, a message travels from the brain and spinal cord and eventually arrives at the individual muscle motor units through something called a neuromuscular junction. Now this is where the muscle receives the message and gets activated. In the same way that the muscle itself can fatigue and get torn and injured, the training can also damage your nervous system. And sports scientists call this neural fatigue. And it can really drain your central nervous system, as well as the local nerves in the muscle sites themselves. This fatigue happens when your body releases things called inflammatory cytokines, which are tiny chemical messengers. And they do that in response to the muscle damage that's brought on by your training. These cytokines attach themselves to the receptors in your nervous system and, in a greatly oversimplified way, they block your neural recovery. Now, unlike muscle damage, and this is really important to keep in mind, nerve fatigue doesn't just come from training. It can come from other nervous system stressors like lack of sleep, pharmaceuticals, caffeine, alcohol, and other day-to-day -day stresses. Because your nervous system is the machine that makes all of your muscles fire, if your nervous system is under-recovered, then not only the strength, but also the basic functioning of your muscles is messed up. This is why you can still get overtrained or be in a state of under-recovery, even if you're not exercising excessively, but instead maybe you're partying or working long hours or just sleeping poorly. And again, it's important to remember that your central nervous system doesn't differentiate between your muscle groups. If your nervous system is pooped out, it's pooped out. So let's say you have a hard bike ride today and then you head to the gym tomorrow to lift some heavy stuff. Even though you mostly worked your legs on that bike ride, you still may find that your strength doing something like an overhead press is wimpier than usual. That is nervous system fatigue. All right, there we have it. Now, this is by no means a comprehensive recap of what I learned during my coach certification classes, but hopefully I outlined enough of the benefits and also the detriments of recovery that you will reconsider ignoring your rest day to squeeze in just one more workout. When you're under-recovered, your ability to positively adapt to your training is zapped and as well as putting yourself at risk of injury and illness, you really are wasting precious training time. And I don't know about you, but I want results when I train. 
As always, you can find me at facebook.com slash getfitguy or twitter.com slash getfitguy or make sure to head over to getfitguy.quickanddirtytips.com where you can find a transcript of every one of the podcasts and also links to all the studies, other articles, and everything else I talked about today. Look for episode 390. Now, my name is Brock Armstrong, and I'm the Get Fit Guy, asking you, what are you waiting for? Go get fit. You wear a mask to show you care, that you can help reduce the spread of COVID-19. So your community thanks you, the Virginia Department of Health thanks you, and asks you to learn more at vdh.virginia.gov.